Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. Today we're starting a new series, and I don't know about you, but um, I feel like everything that we're all walking through in all of these different areas of our life, right now I just feel like it's a good time for a restart. (laughs) I don't know if I want to restart 2020 or just kind of just wipe it out of my mind, (laughs) but I feel like this season is a perfect season for a restart. And a restart in family life, a restart in our relational life relating to each other, a restart in our faith, and a restart in church. I mean, this whole everything um, has actually served, I think, a great purpose in kind of shaking a sleeping giant and saying, hey, What you've been doing on autopilot for 50, 60, 100 years could maybe use some reinvigoration or renewal from the Spirit of God. And so over this last months and months and months, I have and we have been genuinely asking God, what are you like? We're open to anything. What do you want to do? And today, as we start this series, I thought the best place to to start kind of this idea of restarting is to just go back to the basics, back to the meta, sort of the overarching meta narrative of what the kingdom of God actually is and what we're actually called to to live like as child children of God. I was thinking about restarting and I was remembering the very first, um, the very first, gaming console that I ever saw was an Atari. Who remembers Atari? Who had an Atari? You had one? Yeah. I remember going over to somebody's house. We didn't have one. But I saw for the very first time Pong. Remember that game Pong? Like literally two sticks and a ball, but the ball wasn't even round. It was square. They didn't have the graphic technology to make it round. It was square. So I remember watching that and being just amazed at it. Like, how many times could you volley without actually, you know, losing? And there was so much. I literally was, like, excited with anticipation. Like, how far could you go? How far could this last? And and then, because my parents never bought us gaming systems, we always got like the third or fourth. Basically, when our friends were like, hey, we're about to throw this in the trash. Would you like my old Nintendo from 20 years ago? I was like, yeah, I'd love that. So uh, I got this old Nintendo when I was like in junior high. And it had Mario Brothers, the original Mario Brothers. And remember that remote control on that Nintendo had like two buttons, I think A and B, and the, the directional pad, and then a start and a restart button. That was it on it. And I remember starting up Mario Brothers for the first time. And I loved the feeling when putting the game in. I loved that feeling of like, all right, everything's fresh. I've got three lives and tons of potential here. Like, let's go. And uh, of course, halfway through like the first round, 
I would die because the button was, it was a used hand-me-down machine and there was like syrup in the buttons or something like that and get super ticked off. And so what I did was instead of like normal people, instead of actually just saying, all right, I got two more lives, let's see how far I can get. I would get like into the middle of like, you know, the first level or world in Mario. I would die once and be like, ah, that's it. I got to start over. And then I would just hit restart back to three lives, back to square one, and I would start over. And it really annoyed people I was playing with because I could always say, hey, I'm not done my lives yet. I haven't finished. It's not your turn yet. And so I would just hit restart over and over and over. And in our society, it's like we have this massive, like I'm picturing like this ginormous restart button in our society right now. And things feel so out of control and so desperate and like, like, like culture globally is like um, kind of heaving and convulsing right now under the weight of what's happening in our world. And it feels like we need a massive restart, but that's not the first time. And this is not the first time in history that we've needed to hit a restart. And much like there is that feeling of hopefulness and exhilaration and, and potential and possibility when you're starting a video game, that existed once. Bible talks about it. Genesis 1. God creates the heavens and the earth. The beginning begins. And God creates the heavens and the earth and he creates man. And in Genesis 2 even, if you guys can throw that up there, Genesis 2 talks about what God intended for us. God's purpose in creating us was not to create this autonomous, robotic kind of human race figures. What he designed from the beginning was to actually walk in relationship with us. For us to be his human family that actually represented him on the earth, ruled and reigned the earth on his behalf. Another word that you could use for that is God made us his icons, his representative people on the earth. And this is like the fresh game, all three lives, tons of potential. God's desire was to actually co-walk with us on the earth in relationship. And then we have the first man down <laughs> and woman, Adam and Eve. And Satan and sin enter, and it distorts and disfigures and ruptures what God had intended. And then for thousands of years, between Genesis 3 and the New Testament, we see the story of the impact of sin and brokenness and the destruction of the kingdom of darkness on the earth, tightening its grip on man, tightening its grip on the bondage that we experience and us seeing the effects of sin on the earth, the brokenness. And for thousands of years, it looked like there was no hope. There was no going back. There was no restart. But God, God always had a restart plan and a restart button. God's restart plan. We actually hear about it from Paul in Ephesians 1. I want you to read this with me. Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. 
He made known to us the mystery of his will. So this is the plan that God had right from the beginning. The desire of God right from the beginning, according to his good pleasure, that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. Jesus Christ was God's restart button. Jesus was God's restart. He didn't abandon his plan. He restarted through Jesus what he had originally designed in Genesis 1 and 2. And we see, you can go to the next slide there, we see that as Jesus comes onto the scene, Jesus born incarnate on this earth is God's restart plan. You know, I moved on from Mario Brothers to better games like Contra. Who remembers that game, Contra? Do you guys remember that? That was like my first like shooting and killing game and I just really loved it, but I really sucked at it. I was horrible at it. And again, I got into that same pattern of like I'd make it through and, and with all of these games, you, you know, hey, if I don't get past a certain point with all of my lives, I'm never gonna complete this, this level. So I'd always hit the restart. And then one day, everything changed because my little neighbor friend came over. Now, this is before Google and internet. And he said, hey, Andrew, I found a cheat code for Contra and it gives you infinity lives. Yes. Mind blown, world change. I said, what do you do? He said, well, you know, when the screen comes on and this thing happens, you go up, up, down, down, left, left, right, right, A, B, A, B, start. Amazing. The cheat code. And it worked. Changed my life as a little kid. <laughs> Not like dramatically, but changed my, I, my, it helped some of my anger issues while playing video games. I was also the angry video game player. Actually, family board games were a problem for me. Um, especially Monopoly, I, would, I was known to just turn the whole table up, like Jesus in the temple, but in a bad way, and ruin the whole game. I would throw the board, and uh, I just was a sore loser. And not long ago, we actually played with our kids. And Simon, little Simon, Simon gets Park Place, and uh, then Boardwalk, and like whoever lands on those, nobody, except for me, like three times in a row. And little Simon, I call him our little money changer. Um, the other night I was up and I said, what are you doing? And I see him, he's on his bed. He's like, I'm counting my money, dad. I said, I don't know, there's something really dysfunctional about that. I'm not sure. You're like, you're not even eight yet. And you're like, I'm just counting it again. I counted it yesterday and I'm counting it again. Anyway, so Simon, I, I came to this moment as a dad where I was like full inside, like, oh, I don't love this kid right now. And I want to throw this board across the room, but I couldn't. I had to resist. So I've grown a bit. But that cheat code for me was huge. And God not only had a restart plan, but he had a cheat code. <laughs> and his cheat code is found in Luke 4, 16 to 21. It won't say that actual word in the Bible. It doesn't say cheat code. I'm just, that's my own little narrative there. This is talking about Jesus. Jesus has been baptized now. 
He's gone through 40 days of testing in the wilderness. And it says he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. So he goes back home. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Boom, cheat code. Not only does God have a restart plan for humanity, for your life and my life, he's got a cheat code for us. And that's the presence of the Holy Spirit. God himself, very, the very God of the universe, filling us empowering us, working in us. And Jesus says, not only am I a great prophet, not only am I a great teacher, but I'm actually walking in the kingdom authority and power of God. His spirit is on me. This is a mic drop from God. It's on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I love this part. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down like, boom. And everybody's eyes are like saucers. They're like, what just happened here? He's literally saying about himself that he's the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy from thousands of years ago. And not only that, Jesus is saying, watch what's about to happen because the visible presence of the kingdom of God is about to come down and the here and now is gonna be filled with the kingdom of God. What does Jesus do from there? He doesn't just hold on to the cheat code by himself. The next thing he does is he gives his 12 disciples the same authority and power that he had. Luke 9, 1 and 2, Matthew 6 and 7, he gave them, his disciples, power and authority over all demons and to heal diseases, proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. And Jesus doesn't stop there. He extends and expands that authority, not from just the 12, but to the 72. You guys can go to the next one. And he gives 72 disciples' authority to heal the sick, and he tells them to proclaim the kingdom of God has come. He says, I've given you all authority. The the presence of the king is in the here and now, not the sometime later in a different time. But God's kingdom, his very presence, has now broken into the earth. What God has planned from Genesis 1 and 2 is now going to begun to be restarted and lived out. And you don't have to wait until you die to experience it. But actually, my purpose for you is to carry this on the earth here and now. And then Jesus doesn't end with the 72. He, he dies and is resurrected. And after he dies and is resurrected in John 20, this is what happens. He meets his disciples again. And he says to them, you know, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Then after saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So not only is the Holy Spirit going to be upon you to empower you for life, but he's actually going to be in you 
that when you surrender your life to Jesus, when you invite him to lead your life, to be Lord of your life, you don't just get a half of the presence of the Holy Spirit. You don't get a junior Holy Spirit or uh, you know, uh, uh, a somehow you know, less than Holy Spirit. You get the full presence of God in you. Jesus breathes on them. And then he doesn't end there. In this large meta-narrative, Jesus goes in Acts 1.8 and he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts 2, 1 to 4, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they, meaning these 120 people, were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each of them. Verse 4, then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Do you see the trajectory here? People way smarter than me who study uh, theology and, and the Bible, they call this trajectory. And the trajectory of the presence and power of God in us is not diminishing, it's opening up, it's increasing. The trajectory of the Gospels is a widening of the availability of the power and presence of God for us in life. Listen to how the Bible describes that. Just a few verses, there's so many more. Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. This is Paul writing again. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I pray that you may have a divine revelation of this stuff. Not just intellectual, philosophical knowledge, but a divine revelation of what? Of what is the hope of his calling that you've been designed and created for a purpose, that your life has meaning to it. That you have a divine purpose and calling from God. What is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. Ephesians 2, 6. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 11, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through the spirit. What is he talking about? Not only do we have the filling of the Holy Spirit. Actually, let's go back one. Not only do we have salvation from Jesus, not only has he come to actually bring salvation to you and I, but he actually gives us filling of the Holy Spirit. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit. God doesn't want to just save you. That's a very one-dimensional way to view the Bible. Yes, he does want to save you and I. But nowhere in Scripture do we see a precedent for God saying, what I want from you is to pray a prayer so that you can lock in a place in heaven and then we're done. That's not in the Bible. 
He doesn't want to just save you. He wants to transform you. He wants to renew you. He wants to fill you. He wants to empower you. Yes, we have salvation through Jesus. We have a calling and a purpose divinely given to us from God on our lives, all of us. We have the filling of the Holy Spirit. We have his power and his presence. But what happens and what Paul teaches us in the New Testament is not only that, we have the very access that Jesus had to God. You and I have the very same access to the presence of God that Jesus had. And in fact, the Bible says that every blessing in heavenly places is available to us. There is nothing that has been withheld from you or I, spiritually speaking. Why did Jesus breathe on them the Holy Spirit? I don't know the full answer to that. But I believe part of it was symbolic. It was literal. He actually did it. But I think part of Jesus breathing on them and them receiving the Holy Spirit was a, a symbol of the reality that we can't do this on our own. We actually require Jesus to breathe life into us. You cannot save yourself. You don't have the strength or capacity for life. You don't. I don't either. You can't administer justice the way that God can. We have, a, a, it's a fallacy to believe today that you and I have any idea of what true justice actually is. We don't, but God does. He breathed on them to demonstrate the reality that we don't have it in us. You're not a captain of your own ship. I'm sorry. It's true. I'm not either. And yet we try to live out a Christian life from our own strength and on our own merit. We've been caught trying to live the life of God with the strength of man. And this, friends, is the, a massive reset we need to make in our lives and in the church. We rely much more in church and in our life on our own capacity than the working of the Holy Spirit. Our churches function on structures and systems and methodologies that very little, this doesn't make sense because let me start that over, methodologies that do not require the presence of the Holy Spirit. We have to be honest. In your life today, in my life today, let, just reflect on the last, whatever, week, two weeks, month, two months. How much of your life has demanded the presence of God? Without it, you would have been shipwrecked up a creek, going the wrong direction. How much of your life right now demands the very presence of God in it? So if we're going to restart, let's just identify, first of all, what are the signs of this kingdom that Jesus talked about? 
I want to go over a few of them with you. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit, about uh, the fruit of the Spirit, because these are the, the working tools and mechanisms for us to live out the kingdom. But if we don't know what the kingdom is, then we don't know where we're going. So these are the signs of the kingdom. Number one, Jesus in the midst of his people. Of course, Jesus is not walking physically here with us. So today, what that would mean is Jesus as the central determining figure in your life. Is Jesus the one who's in that leadership spot when you're making business decisions? Is he the one in that leadership spot in your family, in your finances, in your decisions with house and real estate, in schooling? Is he the one who's actually leading those decisions? Is he the central determining factor in how you live? Or is he an afterthought? I was reading a book um, just recently. I'm in the middle of it. And the author talks about, uh, he tells a story of him being called to to facilitate, facilitate a staff retreat for a large Christian university in the United States. And this staff retreat is filled with the faculty of the school and people who are teaching in uh, the maths and sciences and in the humanities and in literature and English and all of these things. And he started this retreat off by saying, how many of you believe that Jesus is the expert you need to turn to in your field of study. And the scholars and the academics that were there, some of them went, I don't even know what you're talking about. And others were confused saying, how how can Jesus be the person who needs to, to actually drive my wisdom in mathematics or in finance or whatever? And this author said the the room was kind of buzzing with confusion and some were were disturbed even. And he said, you know, the reality is, is we look at Jesus as this dumbed down, simpleton carpenter who has nothing really to offer our life outside of like, you know, reading the Bible and coming to church. But the reality is, it says in Colossians that all of the wisdom of God resided in Jesus that he's precisely the one who should be leading every area of your financial decision-making. He knows things that you don't know. Investments and markets, he knows things you don't know. Uh, Real estate and homes, your schooling and education, your boyfriends and girlfriends and all of these things. Jesus is precisely the person who has the most to offer you in leading your life. So the question for us is, is Jesus in the midst of your life? Or is he an afterthought? He doesn't really have anything to add to this. Number two, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Number three, casting out demons is a sign of the kingdom of God. Number four, healing and nature miracles, the supernatural. Number five, new birth and apprenticeship to Jesus Again, the Gospels and the Bible never talk about this kind of salvation. And and I think in the church, our pendulum has swung so far to just pray a prayer and uh, gain eternal security, and nothing else is required of you. I said this before, but grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. We can't earn salvation. 
But the Bible doesn't give us this picture of salvation that requires nothing of us. Number whatever, people manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. What it is and what it's for. And suffering and persecution. Those are the signs of the kingdom of God. And when those things are present and happening in the here and now, the Bible says the kingdom of God is present. Mark 16, 15 to 18. This is Jesus commissioning his disciples. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. We're going to talk about those two things in the coming weeks. They will pick up snakes. If they should drink anything deadly, it will not harm them. I just want to put a bracket around that. We're not going to get into that. But what Jesus is not saying is to go play with venomous reptiles. Um, If they pick up anything deadly, then don't drink poison. It will not harden them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will get well. Jesus is saying these are the signs that will identify the presence of the kingdom of God. It should be normative in the church. This, Jesus is saying, is baseline normal. Paul says this. Jesus, you know, his opening statement is preach the gospel. But what does that mean? Paul gives us an indication and an insight to what fully proclaiming the gospel means. Romans 15, 18, and 19. Paul says, I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me by word and deed for the obedience of the Gentiles. Verse 19, by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit, as a result, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 4, 19 to 20, Paul says, I come to you um, not out of mere talk, but the power of the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Look at Paul is saying here, the gospel and proclaiming the gospel, it's not just standing up and speaking like I am. It's not just getting on a soapbox. It's not just articulating theological, systematic theology to people. That the full presentation of the gospel is both proclamation and demonstration. There is no New Testament example otherwise. It was the proclamation of the good news that the kingdom of God has broken down into the here and now. And yeah, by the way, here's what God is about to do. He's about to set people free from demonic spirits and he's about to heal people. And people are about to experience his peace and joy and hope in a tangible demonstrable way. That's the proclamation of the full gospel. Anything less is not biblical. I think it's time for a restart. This is the life that the Bible is actually calling us to. to not only preach the gospel of the kingdom, but to do the stuff that Jesus did. Jesus says this in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. 
Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. We cannot obey this commissioning of Jesus without teaching and imparting everything he commanded. Part of that everything that Jesus is talking about is the healing of sick people, casting out of demons, the demonstration of the kingdom of God in tangible ways, the proclamation of the good news of Jesus. The everything includes those. Making disciples is not attending church once a week. It's not listening to my big fat voice every week. That's not disciple making. Disciple making is entering into the life of Jesus filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, the goodness of God, the kingdom of God exploding out of us into the earth around us and stirring stuff up, confronting sin and the kingdom of darkness. In 1 John 3, 8, it says Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil. Jesus didn't come to espouse philosophical ideology and godly doctrine. He came to literally dismantle the underpinnings of the kingdom of darkness. And he says that we're filled with the Holy Spirit, the same one that filled him, the same power that raised him from the dead lives in us. And more than that, he's saying, go into all the world and demonstrate it, live it. And yet so many of us don't have good news to share because God's not doing anything in your life or mine. You don't have this good news to give because nothing's going on. And God is saying to us, we need a restart. This is normal for the kingdom of God. I would submit to you in humility that what vast swaths of the evangelical church has experienced for the last 150 years is not kingdom normal. It's not all rubbish and for the garbage. But we're at a point now where I think God is saying, hey, turn the steering wheel a bit on this ship. Why? Why is this important? Because life is gonna get worse. God's promise to us through scripture isn't that everything works like this is not strawberry shortcake gonna happen in our world and in our society. The pressure is going to increase. The flames are going to get hotter. The cost is higher. And he's saying, prepare yourselves. And the only way to do that is to steward my kingdom in you so that what's in you is stronger than what's outside of you. So that my kingdom in you, it's like a, a, you know, the, the air ballasting in a submarine. The inside pressure needs to be greater than the outside so that the sub doesn't collapse in on itself. And I believe... What we're called to do is to restart our understanding of just what is normative for the kingdom of God. This is what Peter said it would look like. Acts 2, 17 to 21. In the last days, we are living in those days now. We don't know how long they're going to go, but we're in them. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Why is it 
that secular society, that Eastern religious practices somehow have the market cornered on spirituality? Why is it that our spiritual life is not really spiritual? When actually the life that God invites us into is inherently spiritual. It's inherently spiritual. Things are supposed to happen in your life and mine that we can't explain, that are not natural, that don't come from our own skills and gifting and capacity. We are supposed to expect the activity of God in a spiritual way. Verse 18, I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. A friend of ours here, we've had him here, a friend of mine, Keith Martin, said this, this quote. I'm going to invite Ben to come up. While most of the church would emphasize that leading others to Christ is the primary task of proclaiming the good news. Jesus' ministry and the activity of those who followed him suggest a broader view. In fact, the clearest sign of God's kingdom breaking into our present world is reflected in a statement Jesus made regarding casting out demons. He said, if by the finger of God. See, up to that point, what Jesus was confronting is the Religious leaders, the Jewish uh, leaders, they actually did exorcisms in the first century. And they did exorcisms by very complex and detailed ritual and rites. They had complicated sort of forms of to follow. And Jesus shows up and he says, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, I don't need your religious practice. I don't need that stuff. I'm operating with a different system. And if by the very finger of God, I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. By this, Jesus was indicating that God's kingly power and authority was breaking into the present order to overthrow the work of Satan in order to to restore things God had intended them to be here on earth as it is in heaven. This then was and is a sign of God's kingdom at work and an essential part of the ministry Jesus had and the commission he later gave his disciples to fulfill. It's a sign. It's one of the evidences of the kingdom of God breaking into the here and now. So here's our invitation. Number one, if you're here and you are not settled on what you believe about God or Jesus or maybe any of this stuff, I'm not here to win an intellectual argument with you. I'm here to actually just present to you the hope that can be found in Jesus. That as you Surrender your life to him if you surrender it. Declare him Lord of your life. That not only will you be saved, but that the very presence and nature of God will fill you in order to transform you and empower you so that you can be actually an icon for God on the earth and an expression 
of his kingdom power. And when he expresses his kingdom power, the point is that it brings freedom and hope and life, that it unwinds and unravels the destructive force of the kingdom of darkness, that it, it actually renews hope and restores life and freedom. This is actually what God has invited you to in this dark and broken world where things are so messed up. He's looking for people who don't just believe that they're saved for some time in the here and, you know, the by and by, but people who live with the reality that at any moment, if they're obedient to the voice of God, that he can break in in our reality, that he can do things that we can't, that he knows things we don't know, and that he has freedom and life to give. And when you start to see that, that's when you develop a sense of the good news. That's when you begin to testify about the good things that God has done because you're living in the midst of it. He's calling our church back to come back to this simple kingdom-oriented gospel that takes the onus off of us and places it on Him where we walk in humility and dependence and risk-taking faith because our families need it. My kids don't need to see a dad who's got all of the theological questions answered. They need to see a dad who demonstrates dependence on God, who demonstrates kingdom character in their life, who demonstrates faith. Your families need to see that in you. Our world needs to see it. We don't need to banter back and forth about worldview philosophy. We don't need to banter back and forth intellectually. That's fine, we can do that, but not only that. We can argue critical theory until our eyes are exploding out of our head. What people need to see is that there's something tangible about God that transforms and changes you. That goes beyond mere thought and philosophy. The kingdom of God exploding out of us on the earth. This is kingdom normal for God. And he's calling us to restart. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm not even gonna pretend that I know what that all looks like. I'm taking my cues from Philip in the book of Acts. One day the Holy Spirit said to him, go south on this road. And he said, okay. And he just started walking south. No greater strategy, no 32 point strategy for what was gonna happen. He just said, okay, God, point me in the right direction and I'll be faithful to go there. And Philip started walking down this road. He had no idea what he was walking into, none. And then he saw this, you know, horse-drawn carriage thing, whatever they called them back then. And God said, go up beside that. And he said, okay, and he went up beside it. And then as he began to follow the leading of Jesus, clarity began to come. So the direction we wanna go is to see the kingdom of God breaking out in our midst. We're done playing church and religious practice and duty. I don't know what it all looks like, but our heart is, is set on setting a restart. 
We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church at and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.